on the second day of Prime Day, the news cycle gave to me a meeting between Biden and Zelensky, which is going to be happening at the NATO summit later on today. And uh, Zelensky's mad. Zelensky is very frustrated that uh, NATO and the NATO allies are not committing to a timetable to admit them for membership, although they said they will be admitted, um, but just not yet. He went to Twitter uh, to voice his frustration yesterday, saying Ukraine will be represented at the NATO summer summit in Vilnius because it is about respect. But Ukraine deserves respect as well. It's unprecedented and un- absurd when a time frame is not set neither for the invitation nor for Ukraine's membership, while at the same time vague wording about conditions is added even for inviting Ukraine. So that will be a very uh, interesting, possibly tense meeting uh, later on. President Biden did say over the weekend that Ukraine is not quite ready to join NATO, saying that uh, they need further reforms and democratization, whatever that means. And look, I understand Zelensky's frustration. Um, You know, I I could see this making the allies uh, look kind of wishy-washy because yeah we're going to admit you but we're, we're we're we don't have a timetable for it but the united states and the nato allies have given them a lot of assistance throughout this war whether it's these 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 cluster bombs uh whether it's it's poland or other um countries sending them aircrafts um so and i mean i it's not as easy as just saying you're in everyone has to unanimously um agree and and it's a years-long process um, you know, and the other NATO countries, they want to wait for the conflict to end, fearing that a meeting Ukraine would immediately um, draw NATO into the war with Russia. But I don't know. I I also feel like that's uh, letting Putin kind of dictate what NATO does. So uh, it's a tough spot. And uh, we'll see what happens over there in uh, uh, Lithuania. I almost said Bosnia. That's not it. Lithuania. And uh, it's not just Russia in Ukraine that's on the agenda for for NATO. China is also a concern. Here's Fox News' Jonathan Savage. All right, let's see. Jonathan Savage was getting a cup of coffee. Let's see if he's ready. At last year's NATO summit, China was officially labeled a security challenge, the alliance looking with suspicion on what it called Beijing's coercive policies. Now this year's summit is making time to try to address that. Leaders from Japan, South Korea, Australia and New Zealand are joining their NATO counterparts in Lithuania to discuss this shared problem. It follows a recent warning from China's new defence minister that creating more alliances like NATO would plunge the Asia-Pacific into a whirlpool of disputes and conflicts. Jonathan Savage, Fox News. The streets of Metro Detroit are a little bit safer. Um, a man has been arrested and charged for that brazen attack in the uh, Target parking lot. 31-year-old Andrew Hall, he was arrested on Tuesday afternoon trying to catch a bus in Dearborn Heights. Uh, it was on a Telegraph just north of Ford Road. Um, it was just hours after police identified him and released a picture. Um, he has been charged with unlawful imprisonment, assault with intent to do great bodily harm, attempted carjacking, carrying a concealed weapon, and possession of a firearm in the commission of a felony in connection uh, to that assault at Target. Um, you probably saw the post from from uh, the woman who he tried to abduct. Um, he forced his way into her car. 
he showed his gun, he hit her in the face, and then he was scared off by another shopper um, who intervened. Now, this is spooky because Hall is also a suspect in the murder of a woman uh, in Detroit on McNichols, just west of Woodward, early Tuesday morning. And uh, he allegedly got into an altercation with that woman in Detroit who he murdered, and he left her body um, behind a building. And uh, this guy does have a criminal record. I think he's got a home invasion or breaking and entering charge on his record. And, of course, look, your heart goes out to um, the woman who, who he murdered in Detroit. And, uh, you know, I also hope that the woman who he tried to abduct in Troy is OK, because, I mean, to hear to hear what happened to someone who wasn't able to to fight him off is 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 absolutely terrifying. And uh, the what ifs have to be just floating around in your head and imagine being one of these people if he got onto the bus i mean this guy's picture was everywhere so you're on a bus there's really nowhere for you to to, to run and hide and then you see this guy get get on the bus but detroit I, i'm sorry dearborn heights uh police and other uh assisting agencies um got him before he could get on the bus and before he can um victimize anybody else Federal grand jury will decide if Rashad Trice will face federal charges in the kidnapping and death of two-year-old Winter Smith. Trice appeared in front of a U.S. magistrate, uh, Judge Ray Kent in Grand Rapids yesterday, for a preliminary hearing to determine if there was enough evidence to bind Trice over for a grand jury hearing. Uh, Federal prosecutors have charged Trice with kidnapping a minor and kidnapping resulting in death and argue that since he was driving a car made in Canada and was driving on an interstate that they have jurisdiction to charge him on the federal level. Judge Kent, he expressed uh, skepticism about the amount of evidence from a uh, for a federal conviction, but did decide to bind him over. And um, we remember the text messages that were released last week. Uh, I, 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 he was texting his family, and I think it was his uncle. And last week, um, one of the text messages was, revealed to say i love y'all but i have to end this and yesterday a new uh, text message was revealed where he texted someone in his family saying she's gone which uh it's very chilling and, and it seems like uh with with the re- release of this text message uh with the release of that body cam video um that karen drew showed us on wdiv two days ago where he said i'm going to jail and uh for the rest of my life, it seems like this guy has a penchant for um, incriminating himself. Uh, an Oakland County jury determined that Aretha Franklin's 2014 handwritten will, it was found under the couch cushions to be valid and le- legitimate. Three of her sons, they were in court fighting over whether a handwritten will from 2018, I'm sorry, from 2010, or a handwritten will from 2014 would be used to determine how her state was divided up after her death in 2018. Um, I, I guess in the absence of a typed up will, which she did not have a hand, uh, the most recent handwritten will is probably the one that you go with. Um, and it was signed. It, it was signed by her. So, um, so I guess uh, that's, that's the way the jury ruled. And it's such a shame. I, I mean, how many families are ripped apart um, by fights over inheritance that aren't clearly spelled out after, you know, the head of a family passes away? 
Uh, I think something similar happened to Prince. Uh, he had no will whatsoever. And after he passed away, obviously he was very, very wealthy. And um, he didn't really leave behind a very good will. And I believe that his family um, were at each other's throats in probate court. So just a reminder to get your your affairs in order, your final wishes in order um, before it's too late. All right. Um, coming up after the break. Macomb County Prosecutor Pete Lucido speaks out on the uh, charges that a former Warren police officer is facing after uh, he was caught on video attacking a suspect, punching him in the head, tackling him to the ground, slamming his head into the ground while he was being fingerprinted. Um, That's coming up after the break. It's first thing with Mike Parsons. Federal civil rights charges have been filed against Warren police officers shown punching a suspect in the head while being fingerprinted. Macomb County Prosecutor Pete Lucido on All Talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz. Yeah, you're really not supposed to use excessive force. And what happens and there's proof and there's evidence, yeah, you kind of have to deal with it uh, just as it is. Let the cards fall where they may. So there's this June 13th video. Uh, I don't know if our listeners have seen it, um, but it does show... Uh, this former, now former, Warren police officer assaulting uh, somebody who was already arrested. Um, the officer's name, former officer's name is Matthew Rodriguez. Uh, he's now been charged with federal civil rights violations for assaulting that suspect who was already in custody in the city jail. Yeah, Tom, the incident is on video. The feds are taking action. Former Warren police officer facing federal charges on allegations of, like you said, excessive use of force. You know, so is this an officer with a violence problem or is the bigger problem that our law enforcement is facing insurmountable challenges in maintaining public safety while upholding individual rights? Or maybe it's a little bit of both. I don't know. But it's a it's a crucial crucial issue to address and 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 you have to do this with uh transparency and accountability if you want to keep public trust in our law enforcement agencies so uh that's why we're turning to peter lucido macomb county prosecutor who joins us now good morning pete how are you good morning kevin good morning tom and uh i'm glad you brought that up i mean over the last 40 years i've been doing criminal justice i was a probation officer parole officer i worked in the public defender's office downtown in detroit which was the busiest office in the state. And um, we didn't have body cams. We didn't have any in-car videos. We didn't have any station cameras when the booking procedures had occurred. We had none of that. And today, with the body cams that are company-issued and have to be worn as part of the protocol with officers, it gives at least a bird's-eye view to show you exactly what took place and what happened without somebody maybe embellishing or not telling the truth. And that pretty much tells the truth. It tells the tale. Remember, everybody, we have a lot of police and law enforcement officers throughout not only this state, but also the country. And you're going to get um, uh, people that uh, shouldn't be in law enforcement for a various amount of reasons. I think that uh, Commissioner Dwyer did a wonderful job to explain this is not how law enforcement is to act. And this type of behavior will not be tolerated, and it's criminal. And that was clear from the U.S. attorney, Dawn Eisen, yesterday when she said this type of behavior will not be tolerated. It is criminal and as such was charged with a civil rights violation. So why the federal charges instead of the local charges? You know, interesting question. We can bring both. I mean, our laws in the state, if you recall, 
we only have state law that I can operate and any other 83 other county prosecutors can operate under. Federal system has that civil rights violation, which I had made a reference to yesterday at the press conference. That's something that our legislators need to look at and to see, and we do it all the time. I was a legislator in the House and the Senate, where you take up a bill to mirror our civil rights violations under you know, the under the color of authority, um, sworn police officer, as it relates to having a state statute in place. And they may take that up based on this case in particular. But remember, everybody's innocent until proven guilty. That's the hallmark of our system. But the cornerstone, the cornerstone of our democracy, everyone, is protection of our civil rights. That means the accused, as well as the victims, they all are entitled to their civil rights. Yeah, so there was an internal investigation that happened very, very quickly. I mean, so this assault happened on June 13th, right? That's when the video yep. uh, was taken of the incident. The, the, but, but go ahead. The union is independent. See, these are sworn officers that are in a union, and they also have their rights under Garrity, and Garrity is where somebody is allowed to come in, and that could be all the officers, and talk about it. And if they lie at Garrity, they lose their job. I mean, it's done. It's over. Yeah. But these officers that were in the booking room, because everybody's got to see the backdrop, which is officers go out on the road. Those officers are the ones that are doing the what's called the street work. They bring the accused in and they decuff them, if you will, take the cuffs off of them and they fingerprint them and they they take their mug shots. And during the booking process, those officers that brought the individual in. Uh, Mr. Jaquan Smith, uh, at that time, left the room and then noticed the melee or the scuffle going on and ran in to defuse the situation. It's clearly shown on the video. And then at that point there, uh, you know, there was there was uh, some, some talking to be done, meaning they went to their superior and said there was a problem down there. Yes, yeah, so uh, there's plenty of evidence of it. So there was video of it. I know that this officer, Rodriguez, t- turned his own body camera uh, off. Do I have that correct? I don't think he even had a body camera on, which is against company and policy of the union. You have to have proper, uh, you know, devices that you are ch- charged with wearing. And, and, and I don't even think he had a body cam on in the video. I didn't see a body cam even on. So when so you look, that, that right away is a violation in and of itself. So when you look at the the big picture, um, is yeah. is this a is this uh, an argument to defund the police, or is this an argument that we need better training and better candidates to hire for law enforcement? You know, law enforcement's probably the best to go ahead and 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 try to answer that. But from what I saw in the Capitol, when you have a case like this, you see a rush to judgment and 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 law to make law changes in regards to, you know, making sure that it doesn't happen again, which is extremely important. You remember there was the, the you know, the, the cases that when I was in the Capitol, they right away said no chokeholds no more because they're not trained in MCOLs training to do chokeholds. And we want the duty to intervene, which means if you don't intervene, you're just as guilty as the one that is, is, is causing the problem. And all those bills went through pretty quick. Now what you see is this. We have a tough time getting police officers because of the fact that there's no more pensions. Police officers used to go work for a pension, like school teachers did. Mm-hmm. There's no more pensions. On top of it, the money that they make, if you look at the amount they pay them, 
you start to realize that why am I taking a job where I could end up dead when I can go do another job making more money and not have this, you know, this inherent risk of harm. And lastly, it's this. It's not an easy job. So to take a mask and say that everybody's cut the same way, and on top, the candidates that are even um, – it's tough to get candidates. Every law enforcement agency throughout Macomb County, and there's 27 of them, they said, Pete, it's a, it's a bear to try to find qualified candidates as well as those that, you know, don't, that, that are, you know, have a regiment to taking this kind of, you know, abuse. That's the best word. Yeah, but, you know, I've, I've done those, those investigations in the past where somebody is a, a problem in one department and they say, well, yeah. you can you can resign. Uh, we won't put it in your record. And then they pop yeah. up at another uh, agency. Is that still happening? No, that's all done with. And let me explain. There's a law now that's on our books in Michigan that says when you have a problem child officer and, and you have seen that they've done something wrong, their file follows them. And it's against the law for them not to put it in their file because – too many other law enforcement agencies. So if we got a bad apple from Arizona that decided to be a cop here in Detroit, that's a problem because you take that bad apple and none of that was disclosed years ago. Now it has to be disclosed under law. Right. And Rodriguez had his own issues. I mean, even his own personnel file you know, revealed he had a couple prior instances of excessive force. So Look at this, guys. He's, he's resisting an obstructing officer, yeah. felony firearm, carrying a concealed weapon, R&O, and carjacking, being of a vehicle. Yeah. You tell me, I mean, we still have to prosecute that crime. He's still presumed innocent. We're going to court on this, you know, on August 3rd because he waived his 14-day rule. And we have an obligation now to see that justice is done the other way yes. in light of Absolutely. what happened with Rodriguez. Right. All the attention is on Rodriguez, but you still have a criminal who needs to be prosecuted himself. Thanks so much. Always appreciate having you come on. Pete Lucido, Macomb County Prosecutor. Thanks so much. The Wayne County Sixth Condition. Yeah, uh, let me try that again. The Wayne County Sixth Congressional District Republican Committee. Try to say that ten times fast. Voted Monday to suspend James Chapman for his role in a fight with Clare County Republican Party Chairman Mark DeYoung at the Michigan GOP State Committee meeting over the weekend. And uh, to refresh your memory, I'm just going to read Beth LeBlanc and Craig Mauger's words from the Detroit News because they can they can write it better than I can say it. The Detroit News reported Saturday that Chapman had been involved in a scuffle at the Doherty Hotel in Clare after he was blocked from attending a Michigan Republican Party meeting limited to members of the state committee. Chapman told the news he'd resorted to listening through a locked door and tried to wiggle the doorknob to get in when Clare County Republican Party Chairman Mark DeYoung walked over to the door. DeYoung said that someone flipped him off through a small window before he opened the door. He kicked me in the sensitive parts as soon as I opened the door, DeYoung said. DeYoung said that Chapman ran at him, slammed him into a chair, requiring DeYoung to go to an emergency room in Claire afterwards. I think he thought his ribs were broken. I'm not sure if they uh, ended up being broken or not. DeYoung says that he planned to press charges. Chapman alleged that DeYoung said, I'll kick your A-word, and swung at him. But DeYoung denied those claims. Chapman told the news he took DeYoung by the legs and knocked him over. And uh, Chapman will face a hearing to discuss his full removal as early as August. You know, I've been saying on the show that uh, our current reality is kind of like a bad Netflix series. I take it back. This isn't Netflix. This is The Onion. And, uh, you know, what the heck? Why don't we just have these two guys be the undercard for that uh, Mark 
Mark Zuckerberg versus uh, Elon Musk cage fight at the Coliseum. We'll be right back. All right, so the UAW in Big Three, uh, they'll begin contract talks tomorrow, and the talks are expected to be tense, and many people are expecting a strike. Daniel House from the Detroit News looks ahead at the uh, talks and negotiations with Guy Gordon and Lloyd Jackson on JR Morning. Come this Thursday, the pivotal UAW talks with the Big Three automakers will be getting underway and uh, as a guy that's covered a lot of these, usually it begins with the big photo off. And both sides, the w- w- whatever. The handshake. The, yeah, the big handshake. Yeah. You know, uh, well, no. no such niceties this time around. And what is the message behind that? Because right now it is all about optics and messaging. Daniel Howes, who has seen as many of these, if not more than I have, senior editor and columnist for the Detroit News, joining us live this morning. Good morning, Daniel. Morning. Ain't no handshakes. No, we'll we'll be happy to shake your hand. uh, (laughs) But is, you know, I know that Sean Fain, the new president at UAW, has a message to send. We know that he felt that previous UAW presidents were far too cozy with management. In fact, there was just a betrayal of the rank and file when you look at the way they feathered their nests. Um, But why does he feel like he needs to go this far? Well, I think he wants to send a message, number one. Number two, I think he wants to keep the automakers off balance here. I've been having a lot of conversations with people at the companies, and there's a lot of – I got a call yesterday from a ranking executive saying, did you see what the latest thing that he's doing? I said, yeah. You know, I I think there's an explanation for it. I think you got partway there with the the coziness. I also think he wants to send a message that there's a new sheriff in town. and he's going to do things differently. Clearly, they're working the media. They're issuing um, videos about what their priorities are in bargaining. Uh, and that's and a real change, one- Daniel, because, I mean, the communications oh. office at the UAW, has it's basically like Elon Musk and Twitter, right? Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. just doesn't exactly. exist. It doesn't exist. And and so, as a result, anything that they're doing is, is a departure from the past, right? Yeah. I had a conversation with, with one of his people not long ago, and I said, you know, the people at the, at the car company they don't quite know what to make of you guys. And, and the person on the other end of the line chuckled and said, yeah, that's probably to our advantage, isn't it? So I think some of it, and you put your finger on it, some of it is theater. I mean, I, I learned a long time ago, you know, 25-plus years ago, that UAW talks are really equal parts theater, politics, and economics. And the economics come at the end. So what we're living through right now is both this, this political and theatrical dance where I think the new guy who is not part of the old Ruther administrative caucus is saying there's a different way to do this. And, uh, and I think he sees himself as being more militant, uh, and that he is, is reviving a lot of things uh, rhetorically in the contract, that he wants to see return like cost of living adjustments, which will do nothing but would, but build the fixed costs that the car companies have as opposed to profit sharing, which is, you know, they, they workers profit when the company profits. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think he's, he's, he's setting that out. From my perspective and our, and our team's perspective, the question we're asking ourselves is, you know, what's it going to be like to cover this? Uh, in, in a lot of cases, uh, these things were – impenetrable 
Um, you know, the UAW just would not talk about anything as a general proposition. Um, and I think now we're in a in a different, we're likely to be in a different phase over the next couple of months. Daniel, this is Lloyd Jackson. Job security is going to be pretty big as well because as you mm-hmm. get these uh, automakers, you know, preparing to um, open uh, these electrical vehicle and EV battery plants, they require, you know, less labor to build than the traditional ICE vehicles. Uh, that's big too. And I know Fane wants uh, these guys to to be the the workers in the EV plants to be under the, the big contract because right now um, they're mm-hmm. making less than – than the the guys in the ice facilities, about half. Yeah, uh, if you, if you look at Warren, Ohio, which is really the canary in the coal mine here, I think there's a number of things playing out here. Uh, one is you're absolutely right; they do want it to be part of the national agreement. Uh, what's happening in Warren, Ohio? They've voted to have the union, uh, but they don't have an initial contract, and I think the company or the joint venture is very frustrated because the union appears to be based on what they're saying, uh, not really negotiating uh, because they want this to be done as part of the national contract talks, which, of course, they prefer that that not be the case. The other thing I would say is there is there has already grown up this expectation that you need less workers to build electric vehicles. But one of the things that we're starting to see um, is that the companies are actually adding workers uh, as as they electrify. So the, the, the head count for the hourly workers is actually starting to go up. Mm-hmm. When you talk to Ford about this, they'll say, we're in a growth mode. We're hiring people. Um, yeah, but they haven't closed any they, transmissions or engine plants yet. That I mean, that, that's the other shoe that's going to drop, well, right? It, it could be. It could be. I mean, one of the things we're starting to see, and we're doing some work on this right now, is you're seeing plants close, like Romeo Engine for Ford, and Van Dyke Transmission gets a new life building electric motors. Um, so you are seeing, situ- or, or in Toledo with G- GM, where they've invested in a, in a, in a propulsion uh, facility uh, that was part of their powertrain, and now they're going to be building electric components. So you are seeing some of that. Uh, we're not seeing yet the kind of closes. I think the, the real challenge guy becomes when we get into a more purely electrified fleet, you know, then do we start to see some really downside um, effects on the workforce? But I think for the life of this contract, there's not an expectation that there, there's going to be a negative impact, which is why they're really focused here on how do we get these battery workers covered under the National Master Agreement? Right. I just saw is some. Is that National Master Agreement going to be the same wages or could it be less? I think Sean Fain is clearly suggesting not only right. should it be the same, he thinks it should be more. Well, and there's going to, at some point, they're going to have to come to a reckoning about the fact that as you raise those fixed costs, you're going to take a bite out of your own profit sharing. And to what degree are you cutting off your nose to spite your face? Well, let me add one other thing. What's happening right now is we have the a new union leadership that is clearly pushing up the cost curve. They want to push the cost curve up for the for the community for the companies. And at the, at the same time, you have the Chinese electric vehicle business that is moving into Europe and, that, and is slowly moving into the United States. And what are they going to do? They're going to push the cost structure down. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have two forces pushing against each other. Um, and I think for the, for the UAW-represented companies, that's a real challenge because 
aside from GM Ford and Stellantis, all their competition, all of it, is non-union, right? Right. Uh, the transplant, the so-called transplants, the, the, the legacy rivals, the start electric startups, Tesla, the Chinese, all of them. So, you know, if you're going to compete and you want your companies to be competitive, that's a real challenge. It's not only a challenge for the union, it's a challenge for management. Got to ask you, some inventory numbers have come out, and they, they indicate uh-huh. that things like the GMC Hummer, has a 90-day supply. Uh, Genesis seems to have an oversupply, I think, of their G80. Um, there's as, as the production of EVs is ramping up, we now seem to have at least the beginnings of a situation where supply is outstripping demand. Is that a temporary situation just because they're getting a little ahead of themselves? Or are we starting, starting to see that demand curve flatten? Well, you mentioned the Hummer. You know, the Hummer's a pretty expensive vehicle. Right. Uh, and and so I, I think, you know, one of the things uh, that is going to continue to happen is is, is is the more expensive vehicles are going to be hard, harder to sell. It's a smaller market, but there is a market for them there. Um, but there is demand, I think, is still very strong for a lot of traditional vehicles, SUVs, pickups. Um, they're still doing very well. Um, the take rate on, on on some of these new EVs, I think it remains to be seen. Well, and maybe that, that it'll the, the change real, the, the when, when the Equinox comes out at thirty thousand. That may be. That's the, what I was just going to say. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was just going to say. I mean, I think when you get into a thirty thousand dollar vehicle, um, and for a lot of people, the duty cycle on 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 a vehicle, EVs can work for a lot of people. Uh, you know, if they're not going up north every weekend, uh, and you know. For my 85-year-old mother, uh, you know, it might make sense. I don't think I'd ever get her in one. But, <laughs> but, but Son, but, come you know, over and plug in the car, will you please? You know, if, she's only, if she's only putting, you know, 8,000 miles a year on a car or 7,000 or whatever the thing is, I mean, they, they can make a lot of sense. Um, but uh, uh, this story is still very yeah. much un, unspooling. There's no question about it. Daniel House from the Detroit News uh, previewing the expectedly tense contract negotiations between the UAW and the Big Three. And new UAW president Sean Fain is not messing around. He released a video yesterday saying that uh, the target of a strike will be the Big Three. And if there is a strike, it's the Big Three's fault. Um, coming up, uh, we are going to be joined by Lloyd Guy and Nick. It's first thing, WJR. All right, we are uh, just minutes away. From JR Morning with Guy Gordon and Lloyd Jackson. And uh, they're not here in the studio. They are joining us from the Dana Open at the Highland Meadows Golf Club uh, down in Toledo. Uh, hello from Michigan, fellas. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Boy, we already envy your road. <laughs> we already envy the roads down here. Oh. I got to tell you, coming down I-75, it is the longest construction zone oh I have ever God. seen. Did, Did you? you? Yes. Oh my God. That, and that I feel like that's been under construction since like 1985. It feels like, yeah. I mean, you've got the the you know the new on ramps to the new bridge, the Howe Bridge that are being constructed. But I mean, it is one. There is a lot of money being spent on the roads down here, and uh, it is it's a damp start to our day down here at Highland Meadows. And uh, we're hoping that the sky is clear and a little friendlier once the uh, pro am gets underway a little bit later on this morning. 
you know, guy, uh, to, to your point about the roads down in Ohio, it, it's weird. Like as soon as you pass that uh, welcome to Ohio sign, it, it it's like an immediate change. And I think that's <laughs> it's I fresh th- asphalt. <laughs> I think that's funded by all the tickets that they write to people with Michigan license plates down there. Right. <laughs> you mean those coming down for the, the games in Columbus? Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh-huh. You know, they're targeting those folks with a lot of uh, golden M's in their windshield. I, I I don't know if that yeah I don't know if that uh, Michigan license plate rumor is true about how they'll pull you over for going uh, you know too over the speed limit but I'm I'm not going to test it. It's it is interesting and I told you this last last week M Live published the 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 map where you can do in granular detail the ratings for all the major roads that are in the state of Michigan and it's you know they've got it color coded red for poor yellow for fair green for for good and it, it what's really interesting is when you get along the border those are the roads that seem to have had the most disinvestment so you would think that as a gateway to michigan we would want to you, you don't get a second chance to make a good first impression That's right right why wouldn't you at least put some investment into the major gateways coming into michigan so that you, we don't look like lebanon in well, the 80s i mean at least the northbound side yeah it, it, you know, exactly uh, I mean, it, it would be nice for those that are tourists that are leaving the state also right. not to oh, have yeah. to, uh, you know, ha- have their dentures fall out on the way into Ohio. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it was just really interesting just what the, how, how bad the roads are along the, the borders with other states. Yeah. I, I mean, you could you could really put some money into to southbound and then on the northbound side, put those spikes in it, it, like secured parking lots for our friends coming yeah. up mm-hmm. from Ohio. Yeah. Just a thought. Um, yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys made it down. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send some thoughts and prayers for the rims of your tires. Um, <laughs> so yesterday, um, a, uh, a a judge in Grand Rapids ruled that uh, Rashad Trice uh, will face a federal grand jury in the death of of two year old Winter Smith. He was a little bit skeptical at some of the justification for 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 bringing federal charges, but he still made the decision to send it to a grand jury. And uh, you know, Lloyd Guy, I, I I see you guys as as like an encyclopedia of uh, of knowledge when it comes to to news stories. I, is, I thought you were going to say an encyclopedia of criminal behavior. Yeah, <laughs> yeah get us into the head. Um, no, but uh, is is a weak federal case would, would would a weak federal case put a strong state case in jeopardy against Rashad Trice, or are those things completely separate? Um, I think that it would uh, do just that if they can't get this uh, federal case going and. and I was all I was also amazed too and wondering why the feds necessarily got involved because usually the feds get involved if it's a kidnapping that takes you across state lines and this is this all happened in in Michigan and um now I know the the penalty is probably a little harsher right uh you know of course um but if a judge, you know, I guess the judge is going to have to determine whether the feds have enough uh, to bring this to uh, a federal case to make this a federal case. If that, if he throws that out, I don't know, guy, if uh, the state prosecutor could reinstate something uh, uh, on Trice and make it more of a state, make it a state case, because right now they've dropped the state part of it and 
and it's a federal case, the kidnapping part. Anyway. Right. They can they can reinstitute those cases, and if they think they've got a strong murder case, they can. I think they're just giving the feds the leeway because they believe that with the death penalty, yes. and and that they they're they're going to have a uh, can maybe give some harsher punishment. Um, I, I guess there's yet another piece of fresh evidence that was uh, revealed at the hearing yesterday in uh, the Western District uh, Federal Court, and that is that he made yet another admission in right. a text message. Yes, um, basically saying she's, she's gone. gone. Right, um, and it's so you've got you've got a, a defendant here who's basically trying your case for you. Yeah, so I. I I don't think that two tracking a case like this it doesn't trouble me at all, and I think that they'll uh, if if they think that the the case is weak, they may step back and allow the state charges to move forward. But I think the feds will probably do a pretty good job on this. And I think I've got to go back and remember. But Todd Flood cited the reason why the feds could get involved. And it was a pretty compelling legal argument that there was circumstances in this case that justified uh, the federal charges that he didn't think that they were going to be subject to any kind of a uh, a subsequent challenge. Uh, the, uh, did he cite reasons outside of the, of, of what we've been hearing uh, that uh, the, the, the car was manufactured in Canada and that it was on the interstate? Did were those the two? Um, yeah, the, yeah, that, that, yeah. And, and the, the, there was there were some legal justifications there that he felt would hold up. We'll see. Um, yeah, but, but, yeah. It's, it's it's either way. I mean, the more you learn about this case, and the more you hear about it, the more disturbing it gets. I mean, I wish you could just give him the death penalty just because the crime was so heinous. Well, and then we've got this case, you know, that we reported yesterday, and Mike, you put up the suspect's picture, and yep. it, that led to his um, not, not your specific posting, but those postings led to this apprehension of the suspect, who is now under investigation and likely to be charged with the woman of a, uh, the murder of a woman in Detroit. Now, if you're the victim in Troy, yes. you wake up this morning realizing mm-hmm. that you were being pursued by a killer. Right. Yes. Imagine how lucky she feels, but also that the hand of death was a lot closer than she ever knew in that parking lot. It, and it also validates the idea that when you're in a situation like that, you scream like hell. Absolutely. Well, well, that saved her life. Well, and, you know, that's that's kind of what the, the experts say, uh, is that uh, if someone's trying to abduct you, do not go along with it. Do not let them take you to a second location. And, and Guy, it's funny that you bring up the uh, woman that he targeted in the Target parking lot at Detroit. That was my first thought. Um, you know, obviously, uh, obviously um, your heart goes out to the woman he murdered in Detroit and, and her family. But mm-hmm. I also was like... I hope the woman in Troy is okay because, um, you know, once the shock wears off and you hear that uh, just days after he tried to abduct you, he actually murdered somebody, that's got to be, I, I, I mean, that, that, that's got to be uh, traumatic in and of itself. And I remember in her Facebook post um, that, that that went viral, um, before the, the news of, of this murder came out, she said, I'm not okay, but I'm going to be. And, uh, you know, I hope this isn't a setback for her. Well, this, be- is, this has got to be a terrible revelation. I mean, to, to wake up knowing that you were targeted by a man who was perfectly willing uh, to kidnap and murder a- another human being mm-hmm. takes it to a whole new level. So I, I hope she's getting some help to process this. Uh, yeah, me too. This, 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 this terrible revelation for her. Yeah, and uh, he was arrested trying to get on a bi- bus in Dearborn Heights. I can only imagine how terrifying that would be for the passengers on the bus if he got on because his picture was all over the place. And, uh, 
And give it up to the uh, Dearborn Heights police officer who caught him and saw him. Absolutely. Yeah. JR Morning coming up next.